Um, so much happening and uh, really excited about what is happening now and what is in store. And that's saying something in a day when we, uh, there's so much uncertainty. Uh, but we, uh, we really believe that we are a group of people who have a lot to hope in and hope for with what's coming up. Um, I want to jump back into that passage of uh, that Doug just read in just a moment. Uh, but I want to acknowledge that it could be that in the news or talking to some of your other church-going friends that uh, you may have heard that religious services in Marin are now per permitted to meet indoors at 25% capacity or 100 people, whichever is less. So for us, uh, given the capacity of our auditorium, that would be approximately, um, I don't know, 30... Uh, 35 to 55 people, something like that. And of course, along with those guidelines comes a list of requirements like signage and hand washing stations and temperature checks. And um, and then there's little caveats like um, you can gather together, but you can't sing. So there's a lot of things that, uh, that we're still working through. Um, but I just wanted to kind of give you a, a little bit of an update on where we are for uh, for us as a church. Uh, I've been in contact almost daily with pastors in Marin, which is, this is uh, just another way that it's really brought us together. And we're, we're saying, hey, how did you interpret this most recent news and what's your church doing? And it's just great to see how we are moving with such unity. Uh, we may not be moving at the same pace and doing things exactly the same, but there is such a show of uh, just support and encouragement for each other. So as we're we're thinking about what we're going to be doing in the in the next few Sundays, I wanted to give you a heads up and just keep in mind that there is an asterisk next to everything I'm about to say. This could change for a number of reasons, but um, our motto from the beginning has been "What would love do," not "What does California do" or "What does." Uh, the county tell us to do or even what do we want to do it's what does love do and it's been uncomfortable but thus far we generally have agreed that the most loving thing just so happens to coincide with county and state regulations as we have uh, not been meeting indoors in public uh, when we gather together we do want to still wear masks and things and things like that um, we, uh, we looked a, a little bit into doing outdoor services and, um, and we're looking into what it's going to look like for us to do indoor services. And I want to say that um, when we move to something like that, we do not want to do it to the exclusion of making this available on Zoom or some other online format. Uh, because, again, we feel like the loving thing to do is to make this service available for those of you who um, it's not safe for you to gather in public or you're just not ready to. Uh, so we um, call it a hybrid service. We are taking steps to figure out how we can do this um, in two formats, both in person and um, to use a school term, distance learning, I guess. And you kind of saw a little bit of it today. Um, I loved that we could watch Jane and, and Jonathan and Greg leading in, in worship with the uh, the lyrics that were posted um, at the bottom of that screen. I don't know what that looks like on a phone, but I know on a computer screen, I'm able to, um, I don't know, just felt more engaging. And so those are some of the things from a tech standpoint that we got to 
get up to speed on so that people that are in the room for an in-person service can fully engage in whatever we're allowed to do at that time, as well as the people that are at home are still able to experience that. So just saying, um, uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted on that timeline, uh, but I do know that it's going to require a, a big volunteer effort. And so we want to just kind of put that out there. Uh, in fact, uh, here's what I, I think we could do, at least uh, for this morning. If you would like to help um, with an in-person service and all the extra stuff that we're going to have to do when that day comes, uh, we would love for you to email. I'm going to have you email Jonathan. Jonathan, if you could put your email in the in the chat, that would be great. Uh, maybe it's to uh, to help us out with some tech stuff. Maybe it's uh, temperature checks or whatever. But we'll just have a lot of extra things that will be needed for that. And it'll be a group effort, just like everything else we do here. So um, so go ahead and uh, we'll we'll get Jonathan's email up there and. You can reach out to him. Of course, you can find that through the website. And um, I want to add one more thing, and that is we plan on continuing to get smaller. Yes, you heard me correctly. Um, but I'm not talking about attendance. Only God knows what attendance will be like in future months and years. What I mean by getting smaller is we will continue to emphasize gathering in small circles. Last week, I referred to them as kingdom pods for the purpose of growing as apprentices of Jesus and for growing future apprentices of Jesus. This is already taking place uh, as we get together in these small settings. I got to hang out with Doug and Suzanne and their group uh, yesterday at the park. It was great. And we want to continue to get smaller. We want to continue to gather in those smaller circles because that's where we really feel like we can... Um, uh, we can deepen our level of commitment to Christ and our commitment level to each other as as we grow. And so um, the goal of that is being that we want to immerse people in this process of being formed more and more into the type of people who think and speak and act like Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So I think that's a great lead-in as we kind of reach back to today's passage. Um, we, we looked at the first two verses of Colossians 1 uh, last week. We began that study of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young church in Colossae. Uh, that uh, was an ancient city in what is now modern-day Turkey. And he begins by thanking God, telling them how he thanks God for them. And then I want to I want to uh, make a special note of verse seven. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And so, Epaphras, who is this guy with the weird name, and and why would Paul mention him up front? And I don't want to just kind of give you information about some historical figure. I want us to, to be able to relate to Epaphras. So let me kind of explain to you who he is, and then maybe you can begin to see yourself a little bit. Um, Epaphras is who is credited with starting this church in Colossae. And think less about a church building with a steeple and think more like um, people gathering in a house or in several houses throughout the city of Colossae. And one by one, or perhaps family by family, 
people were led to put their faith in Christ because of the life and testimony of this guy named Epaphras. He himself was a fairly new follower of the way, which is what they called Christians back then, followers of the way. He was led to faith by Paul, most likely when he met Paul in Ephesus, which was quite a distance away. Um, but uh, when he was led to faith in Christ and Paul, Epaphras went back to his hometown of Colossae, a changed man, or at least as a man who entered into this ongoing process of being changed and formed into uh, a reflection of Jesus. And this caught the attention of the people around him. Now, I, I doubt that Epaphras was known as the pastor of that church. I don't think he had an official title like that. But he was obviously one that played a key role in the leadership. And so this is kind of what took place when Epaphras got stuck, when he got to a place where the challenges of growing those people in that church, uh, of growing them in the grace and love of Christ, when that got to be too much for him, he reached out to Paul and he would ask Paul, okay, so here's what we're dealing with. What do you suggest? And so this, this letter is a response to that. Uh, Paul never did visit Colossae, at least that we don't have any evidence that he did. And the way he wrote this letter kind of indicates that he is writing to people that he knows of through Epaphras, but he's never met. And uh, what Paul usually did, if he went to a city where he planted and established a church, uh, scholars have estimated that in about one to two years, Paul would disciple a, a core of people who would be able to continue maturing and continue reproducing disciples after he left. Um, this apostolic gift, this, this, uh, this way that God had gifted him, the Spirit worked through him, was to kind of plant these kingdom pods, get them started, and then go plant another kingdom pod. And so it's, it's kind of like he was a, you can almost think of it like a parent who lovingly raises their children so that someday they're able to move out on their own. Uh, someday they're able to be a contributing member of society, maybe even get married and have more kids. And so what Paul was doing was in a spiritual sense, giving them a foundation for growth and for, multi and for multiplication. And uh, speaking of multiplication, some church historians have estimated that after the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, that the number of Christians grew by 40% every decade for the next 300 years. Every decade for the next 300 years, 40%, and then another 40% on top of that growth, continuing for 30 decades, for 300 years. Is that right? 30 decades, 300, don't check my math on that. But anyway, so how did this happen? How was it that people's lives were so transformed and winsome that onlookers said, I, I want in on that because that's how the, that, that's how the church was growing. Um, it wasn't because they had all these special programs. It was they were living such a radically changed life that the world looking at them said, well, I, I want to know more about that. Well, Paul in Ephesians 4 has a few things to say that I think give us a clue as to how it was growing so fast. And I'm going to put this verse in the chat feature here. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers 
to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So within the church, were people gifted with spiritual attributes that helped establish, mature, and then reproduce apprentices of Jesus. The early church was producing people who were encountering ter uh, tremendous life change, and then um, with this vitality and contagious enthusiasm, people caught on, and this really began to snowball. And here's what I want to point out for Bay Marin. I want to point out that within our congregation, there are already people gifted with spirit-empowered attributes, uh, attributes such as what Paul makes mention of here in Ephesians. There are people within our church that have those spirit-empowered attributes, not so they can do all the work, but to help mature us, to help all of us mature and reproduce more apprentices and followers of Jesus. And so it goes on to say, back in Colossians now, Paul is saying, you learned this from Epaphras. What did you learn? Well, um, verse 6 of Colossians 1, I'll put this in the chat feature as well. Um, they learned from Epaphras that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been among them, there in Colossae, since the day they heard it and truly understood God's grace. So it was they were learning what? The gospel of God's grace. This is what they were learning from Epaphras. So let me throw a question out there to you, um, not necessarily for you to answer on the, on the chat feature, but think about this. What are people learning from you? I mean, there's a lot people could you could teach people. Um, we, we know a lot of stuff. When people observe our life and hear what we have to say, are people learning among the many things that they could learn? Are they learning that your hope springs up from the goodness of God's grace in your life? Are people learning that? That doesn't mean necessarily you're sitting them down and saying, hey, I want to teach you something, as much as they are learning it by observing. Uh, by listening to uh, you just as you talk and engage and go through life. This Colossian church, this kingdom pod, this uncommonville began as a result of what they learned from Epaphras, an ordinary guy transformed by God's anything but common grace. So Marin, or wherever you do life, can become known as Uncommonville as you grow in God's grace and as you share the story of God's grace. When we gathered at that park yesterday in, um, in Ross, I got to hear story after story of people who encountered God's grace. And it was, it was awesome. I, we, I, when um, when we kind of closed in prayer, I said we just had church. I mean, it was it was great to hear these stories of God's grace and the impact that God's grace has been having on on people's lives. And so, um, I'm going to reach back to Colossians one this time in verse ten. And depending on the translation that you're reading from, 
um, Paul says that he's uh, he's praying for them to live a life worthy of the Lord, or maybe the translation you're reading says to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so I was thinking about this walking worthy, and that's just a metaphor for how you live your life, how you walk through life. And and I was thinking about this this walking, and it was, it was something that was also included in the, the email that went out this morning. Um, can you recognize someone by the way they walk? Um, if you live in a house with someone or if you work in a building with someone in close proximity, um, can I just get a nod of your head? Yeah, there are some people that have a very distinctive walk. Maybe it's a real heavy walk, or maybe you can tell by the shoes that they're wearing, um, the cadence of their walk, something like that. You don't have to see them, uh, but you can just hear it and you know. Uh, or sometimes it's somebody that's way off in the distance and you can't see their face, but you can just tell by the way that they walk um, who that is. So Paul tells us how to recognize someone who walks worthy of the Lord. And he gives four characteristics in verses uh, 10, uh, 11, and 12 is where those are in. He gives four characteristics of, of how you can identify someone who is walking worthy of the Lord. And so I just want to briefly touch on, on those four things, um, those four characteristics. The first one is uh, bearing fruit, uh, that you may walk worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Um, when I think of bearing fruit, uh, I think of Psalm 1, and it's a great kind of a, uh, encapsulated picture of what it takes for, um, for, for us to grow in such a way that we are bearing fruit. Um, it uses the tree analogy, David does. And I just put it in the chat feature. It, it talks about being a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Um, similarly, in John 15, Jesus is teaching and he invites us to abide in the vine. And Jesus says that he is the vine. Uh, specifically, the, uh, one of the verses says, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. So when we walk worthy, when someone is walking through life in the way that God created them to walk through life, they're going to bear fruit. How do they do that? They do that, it's just a natural result of meditating on Scripture, on abiding in Christ, um, of spending time with God. So for residents of Uncommonville, you can recognize them by the way they walk. You can recognize them by the fact that they are bearing fruit um, as the result of resting in and drawing nourishment from Jesus. This is just a natural thing when we abide in Christ. The second characteristic of walking worthy is growth in the knowledge of God. Now, I want to, want to take an extra minute on this because we live in a world full of knowledge, but empty of acknowledgement. We don't always believe what we know, but acknowledgement, on the other hand, is to believe. 
Um, you could think of knowledge as we commonly use the word. Um, we think of it as based on facts and theories. I know things, or you use your best um, New Jersey accent in that. I, I know things, I know some stuff. Um, we live in an information crazed society. How many times during the day does someone ask us a question and we just Google it? I don't, I don't know. So we can, we can get this knowledge, but to acknowledge, A-C-K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E, to acknowledge isn't just to, to have a fact, it's to accept or admit to the truth of something or someone. So the best way I know how to describe knowledge as it is most often used in the Bible is to use our word acknowledge. When you acknowledge something, you not only have knowledge about it, but you acknowledge it by accepting or admitting the truth and reality of it. You acknowledge it by responding to it as if it were true. Now, I emphasize acknowledge again, because we live in an information age where knowledge is cheap and easily accessible. But Paul's audience, he could use that word knowledge because um, Paul's audience would have looked at you strangely if you said you had knowledge, but you didn't believe what you knew or that you didn't act on what you knew. So Paul and the Colossians, to them, knowing equals doing. But we live in a different world where it's acceptable to know, but not respond according to what we know. I know that eating a dozen donuts is bad, but I don't always do what I know to be good. We acquire this information, yet we still choose sometimes to not base our actions on it. Um, it is one thing to know that the Bible says that God is a trustworthy provider. More than merely knowing that biblical claim, do we acknowledge that God is a trustworthy provider by living without worry or anxiety? So there's this difference. And so when Paul is saying, when Paul is praying um, for them to grow in the knowledge of God, what he is really saying is, I want you to grow in the first-hand experiential knowledge of God. I don't want you to grow just with a bunch of facts about God. I want you to have spent so much time with him that you acknowledge his presence all throughout the day. Do you kind of see the difference there? Walking worthy is not just stuffing our heads with a bunch of stuff, gathering a bunch of books around us and learning things. There is a, a close contact that needs to take place um, in a humorous way. Um, let's say I do a lot of research on the internet to learn about UFOs and aliens. Now, if you found out that I have a, a significant portion over here, I've got a bunch of books on shelves. You can't see it just off to my right here. But if I said I've got a bunch of books on UFOs and aliens, you might think, wow, Gary just really geeks out on that subject. But if I told you that I've been beamed up into a UFO and probed by aliens, 
that's a completely different thought that you have of me. <laughs> in that case, I don't just have information, I have experiential knowledge. Paul is saying, I don't want you to just know a bunch of facts. I want you to be so caught up. I don't know if he'd use the word beamed up. I want you to be so caught up in God's presence that it changes the way that you walk, the way that you live. So when we walk worthy, Paul is praying that we have this experiential knowledge of God. Third, I'm going to start moving a little faster. Uh, we are strengthened by God's power for patience and endurance. Now, this is, this is awesome. If you, like me, are tired, <laughs> this is great news. Because people that walk worthy, Paul is praying, I want you to walk in God's strength, in God's power. Now, I, I'm strong in a, in a certain way where I'm, I'm strong for a couple of reps of heavy weights in the gym, but as my hike with Eric on Friday revealed, my lungs are not strong. I am not strong for endurance. Um, Eric and I met just real close here to church uh, for a hike with the intention of summiting a nearby peak. And uh, I'll just admit it, I couldn't make it all the way up. All right, uh, was it steep in places? Yes, um, but it was humbling because I'm sweating and breathing heavy. Eric, you know, keeps asking me questions. I can't talk because I'm, you know, I'm like, dude, you talk, you're, you're not out of breath. Um, so. Anyway, we didn't make it all the way up to the top because I couldn't make it. And so Eric suggested that the next time, and he points down to the Civic Center, <laughs> he says, next time we meet up for a hike, let's just go for a walk around the Civic Center Lake. And uh, sadly, I think he was serious about that. Um, and so uh, <laughs> that might be um, maybe more or my pace. So, But here's what I've noticed in life. All right. I have the strength to make it through those times in life when life is easy, level, and scenic. But right now, can we admit a lot of us are facing some serious mountains, some daunting, tough uphill climbs? Life lately has been a challenge. For this uphill climb, I need a strength that is beyond my natural ability. Now, I find that I tend to pray for God to make life more like a fun walk around the lake. <laughs> That's not what Paul prayed. Paul prayed that in the midst of what they were facing, this challenge, he prayed that they would receive this supernatural strength from God that would help them to patiently endure, to not stop halfway on the hike, to endure, to summit this dang mountain that we have in front of us. So a quick sub point. Um, I don't want to make it sound like I just magically, or you and I would just magically draw on God's power. Like we would be on this journey and get really tired and then just say a quick prayer and God all of a sudden just 
fills us with some spiritual five-hour energy. Um, actually, the strength that we get from God comes from training ourselves in God's strength. Let me put it this way. Um, my level of strength is equal to my type of training. I said I, I can lift heavy things. I just can't walk or run a long ways. So physically, I have not trained my body for endurance. I've just kind of trained myself for short bursts. Now, speaking spiritually, for endurance, I have to train my heart and my mind in such a way that I can draw on God's power to patiently endure. And I do that by immersing myself in God's word and prayer. I do that by surrounding myself with people who remind me of the promises and the truths of God's word. Residents of Uncommonville, those who are walking worthy, train in such a way that they can draw on God's strength when life feels like a steep uphill climb. And then this is my last point, and this is going to lead us into just this awesome song that, that Jane and the band, they're, they're going to lead us in. The fourth thing that characterizes a worthy walk is we are giving joyful thanks. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Are you getting this? This isn't just kind of, oh, I'm going to find something to give thanks for. We specifically can give thanks to God the Father. He's the one who qualifies us. God does the qualifying for us. Isn't that good news? In fact, that's what gospel means, is good news. The gospel is that he is the one that qualifies us. That's why we give thanks. I walk worthy despite the fact that I limp through life as a result of missteps and trip-ups. I walk worthy because God qualified me. How is it that I, of all people, walk worthy of the Lord and please Him? This is how. Don't miss this. Because this is how you walk worthy of the Lord and please him. You do that because when God hears us walking, he hears the sound of his son's footsteps in our place. When God sees us, he sees the swagger of his perfect resurrected son who took our place. Do we deserve that? I didn't. I simply received the gospel. I received the good news of Jesus as the free gift. When our communities become Uncommonville, when little kingdom pods begin popping up, residents are known for giving joyful thanks because it's the Father who in His grace qualifies us.